HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. Thank you to everyone who subscribed the very first issue of the Snacky Tunes newsletter. We are excited for the support, and the goal is to come out with a new issue every other week. And if you want to sign up, just go to snackytunes.substack.com. This week, I'm going from deep east side to deep west side to chat with Zara Khan, the new-ish executive chef over at one of our favorite restaurants, Rustic Canyon. She talks about cooking dinner for her family as a teenager the first time she met Chef Jeremy Fox, and her time as a self-proclaimed Seattle pizza rat. Then we head into the archives, into 2018, for an experimental performance from Coleman Zerkowski, which was recorded live at Dangerbird Records Studios in Silver Lake. He plays some songs off his debut album, Zero, and chats about how he made a name for himself, working with such brands as Netflix, Toyota, and LeBron James' uninterrupted documentary series. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. 
Zara, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us and taking time out of your schedule. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, congratulations, Executive Chef Rustic Canyon. I know it's been a few months, but how does it feel to be overseeing one of the most legendary restaurants in L.A.? Um, it feels kind of crazy. I think day to day, you're like so in it that I, I like forget most of the time. I'm just like focused <laughs> on making sure that like, you know, stations are staffed and food is right. And, you know, I'm working on dishes and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's like normal chef stuff. And then you do an interview and you're like, oh yeah. Or you like go out to eat, which is pretty rare for me. But then I remember sort of my place in the world and it's like kind of scary, but also kind of awesome. <laughs> Yeah, when the uh, comp from the back start filling up the table, you're like, right, 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 right. Um, I want to go back a little bit. Uh, grew up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, was food a big part of your childhood? What do you, you know, who cooked? What was what was eating like growing up? Um, my parents were very. They were like 24. When, I'm a twin, so they were 24 when they had us. Um, oh, and I am also were, a twin. Oh my god, crazy! Identical. Wow. Yeah. Same. Do you guys live in the same city? No, no, we don't. We don't. Okay, but uh, yeah, do identical we. twins. That's another interview. We can, we can, we can talk <laughs> off afterwards. That's for the that. twin podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you're an um, identical twin growing up in Seattle. Your parents were 24 when they had you. Yes. Uh, so they were very much sort of like learning to cook when we were mm. kids. Um, and then, and my mom, but like we still would have like barbecues all the time. Like my my parents would hang out with their friends and have barbecues. So that was a big thing. And my mom's best friend uh, is Syrian. And so like, there was always like hummus and tabbouleh and like, I don't know, like the horiyatiki salad and falafel. And so some of the things like that I still love and make, I grew up eating. And then a lot of it is sort of just, I think of it as sort of an exploration of my heritage. But when mm. we were in middle school, my, my parents asked, my sister and I to each cook dinner for the family one day a week. Hmm. So that's, I think, when it really started. And, like, there was a lot of, like, tuna niçoise salads. <laughs> but, like, uh, hey. yeah. Hey, I it's was, still like, dinner. That's still dinner in my book. I was like, it checks all the food groups. We're good. <laughs> we got greens. We got a protein. We got a nice yeah. little fat with the dressing. Um, exactly. And so your your mother's Pakistani. Your your father was German. And uh, you're talking about salad niçoise, which is French. So, um, were you cooking food from their cultures or were you like, I want white bread, I want PB&J, I want hamburgers, you know, like, because you said you did barbecue. So, how much were you embracing what they were cooking and how much were you saying, like, I want American food? Oh, my God. Not, I'm not an American food person, really. Like, we grew up as, like, very adventurous eaters. Mm. I... I've never, I'm, I've been pescatarian for like 17 years now. So like hamburger, I'm like, not even, I'm not even tempted by, um, but yeah, I think we are mostly, I don't know. We just were always into sort of like weird random food. I remember like going to school and having like my friends be like, that's what you're eating. Or like my first boyfriend ever came over for dinner and he was like, do you guys always eat like this? And we're like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that not so insulting, but also sort of like, so this is how you eat. Exactly. And it's like, let me see what you eat, Mr. Hamburger Helper, you know? Exactly, exactly. 
So when you got thrown into the kitchen at a young age, and all jokes aside of the salad niçoise, did you realize that that was not as common as other teenager experience, having to put food up on the table? And or you're like, this is just what we do in our family, and it was sort of just normal? I feel like it was sort of normal. I think my parents were always like, I don't care what so-and-so is doing. This mm-hmm, is what we're doing. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so so that's just what we did. And and I really didn't think about this until a couple of years ago because like I've, I've gotten the question of like, how did you get into cooking? Like, oh, sure. you know, a decent amount. And I used to always be like, oh, in college, blah, blah, blah. But really, it was in high school when, when we were doing this. And then all of my hangouts with my friends would be like, if it wasn't like sports related, it was like, just come over. Like, I have this weird idea. Like, just hang out with me in the kitchen while I make this thing. And that was like what I would do, <laughs> which is so weird thinking back. But like, that's how I have been forever. I think it's weird thinking back now, maybe a little less so with like TikTok and how popular food has gotten. But the idea of cooking for your friends as an activity and it not be something like we're going to make mac and cheese or I'm going to bake some box brownies, but you're going to make it from scratch. Yeah. Um you start to see how that's fundamental because you started working in kitchens. I was a teenager, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So My, yeah. did you get that bug where you're like, Oh, like I'm missing at home. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, this is great mom and dad, but I got more chops than, you know, uh Friday night, you know, nice piece of fish. Yeah. I mean, I got, I remember getting mad at my mom once because she made <laughs> like shit, like Moroccan, like tagine. And I was like, such a brat and I was like there's not enough vegetables <laughs> oh yeah like, the classic and I was like, teenager fight of right? not enough vegetables the tagine tail is old as time what a cliche yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I was but I didn't even think about it like that because I think like you said because there wasn't like TikTok and like yeah. even Instagram back then so I was just like in my own little I don't know world but it's one thing to cook for your parents at home and, and your sister and it's another thing to get into the kitchen especially at such a young age um and you always get to get your parents approval of, well I don't know what labor laws were like in Seattle at the time but assuming <laughs> your parents had to sign off on that yeah. what you know it's what made you make that jump and I'm not because that's not even like a oh I'm going to be a professional chef or maybe you were already thinking about that oh my god definitely not I was not thinking about that um <laughs> I think it was really like my parents always pushed us to like have a job like we mm. always were like in school and doing sports and playing music and like you know you have you should probably have a job and I wasn't like the biggest fan of babysitting <laughs> so sure, sure. Um, my mom also had a friend who had uh, this little Moroccan cafe down the street uh, called Treed and I started there as a dishwasher mm. at like 13 and I would like mm-hmm. go in and and wash dishes and like bus tables basically and then walk home with like a wad of cash in my pocket and I was like yeah it was hard I mean she was like this really intense Moroccan lady who would like make me chop onions and I'd be like crying and I was like I don't like this <laughs> and then yeah and then I don't know there's something about it once you get because I wasn't it was so small and it there wasn't the sort of like camaraderie that we think of when we think of kitchens mm. um but like once I had my sort of first taste of that I was like okay like this is pretty much it and this is how my brain works so yeah once you get i mean look you get to be out with the people who have always loved the people who work in restaurants you put a little money in your pocket especially at the young age it's enticing oh totally (laughs) um now skipping 
forward a little bit because I know that you cooked all the way through college Mm -hmm. and you became, and I've never heard this term, a self-proclaimed pizza rat, which I would love um, to know how does one become one and what is one? Oh man. Well, this was like in college, I was working at this like wood fired pizza place that did like farmers markets and catering really. Um, And I feel like there's, it's like this subsect within the like industry (laughs) that's just like pizza rat. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, I don't know. I just feel like it's very much a snapshot of my youth of like biking everywhere Uh and like going to shows and like sneaking into bars and like being covered in flour and just like you're just kind of I mean I still sort of identify as a dirt bag but like you're just pizza is such a like it's sort of like this focused feel yeah. but it's also so sort of like punk rock at the same time <laughs> how much how much uh cheap American light beer were you crushing at this time oh my god I wasn't not really I was like into sours oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, it's it's a pizza rat with a refined palate. Yes, yes, yes. We're not going to be no. We will not be drinking that swill. <laughs> yeah. Um, what has kept you in the profession this so long? Because I mean, look, it's you know, and we're going to get to Rusty Canyon in a little bit, but you're going on, you know, decades plus starting at a young age. Most time, people like they burn out or they find a different thing. Is it the people, the stories, like the system? Like what what is it that keeps you in? Um, I think the older I get in the industry, the more it's about community and like less mm. about honestly anything else. I think that that's the most beautiful thing. And especially coming out of the pandemic, like from the operations in the back, like backside of it to like what restaurants are from like a diner perspective, I think it's such an important part of our human lives kind of mm-hmm, um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's what I love about it and there are moments when you're like you know racing through the kitchen like yelling in Spanish and <laughs> the music is on and it's just like I mean obviously there's adrenaline there right but like you're alive it's yeah, alive, you're alive. Yeah. And, and and then when someone like asks to, to meet me or whatever and I get to come back into the kitchen and be like compliments compliments they said this nice thing Mm. I'm like, this is a, the result of an effort by a lot of people. And I think that's really beautiful. Mm, it's beautiful. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick musical break. And then we're going to talk about your kismet, like meeting with Jeremy Fox and then winding up your way to LA and East side versus West side and cooking for the people <laughs> who live across town. Uh, we have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're with Zara Khan, executive chef of Rustic Canyon. And you graduated college. You're pizza ratting around town with a refined palate. I'll do respect. I'll do respect. Uh, but you're also working in a lot of incredible Seattle restaurants. And you're super deep in the scene. And I think as far as cities that have good relationships with their farmers and have sort of a kinship to LA and like the West side, Seattle is definitely one of them. Um, what was the scene like and when did you start gravitating to, or actively like farm to table or working with purveyors, like that type of cooking versus just, you know, a different type of high end type of restaurant style. Um, well, when I graduated college, I was like, cool, I've like checked that box and like, here I go. Uh, and I started working at Hotcakes, which Autumn Martin owned. I think she sold it now. She has um, 
Frankie and Joe's, which is like a vegan ice cream spot. Um, so I was like in pastry and her sourcing has just always been impeccable. She like cares about all the things that I care about. And so that was like very informative. And you kind of sometimes like don't realize how good you have it until you leave. And then you like stodge around and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. people don't care about this. Like, how could you not care about organic king sugar or like whatever? Um, so and she got her start like doing that at farmer's markets. So that was sort of where it began. And then I left there and was at Poppy with Jerry Tronfeld, who like is a legend and who obviously also cared a lot about sourcing. Um, And I think just coming from like my environmental studies and like ecosystem resource management background in college, I was, I like always cared about that. And I feel very like lucky that I've been able to sort of like carve this path for myself where, uh, I was able to source the way that I wanted to, or that I felt mm. passionately about. Mm. So obviously you need to work at a restaurant that also wants to make that investment because it is mm-hmm. a lot of work. It's a lot yeah. of work and in some ways it's gotten easier and it's more accepted. And when you have a community that buys into that, that eats there, they're like willing to pay a little bit more or know that like, sorry, just no tomatoes tonight. I don't know what to tell you. Cause it's, you know, not the right season. Yeah. Um, how did you start finding the restaurants or did you start thinking about actively searching out of the places you wanted to work or even start running kitchens? Did you have to say no to some places that weren't up to what you wanted to do food wise? Um, I don't really think I said, well, I think I just really like dug into the places yeah. that I wanted to be at and like made a spot for myself there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, when I was at, London Plain I started there and I was like farming part-time and line cooking part-time and I was like okay wait <laughs> too much manual labor <laughs> like I need to choose one um but yeah I've always just sort of like picked a spot and been like that's the place where you know there's like a level of respect that I have for that for mm. those that I've worked going in I I would never really I'm like one of those people who's like my soul will like die. I can't work in a place or cook food sure. that I don't believe in. So yeah. 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 Now it was also during this time when you're still in Seattle that you met um, Chef Jeremy Fox of Rustic mm-hmm. Canyon. Um, what was the first meeting like? Were you like, I, I'm going to follow you. You know, what was, what do you remember of your first interaction? How did you two meet? Um, well, I had obviously idolized him for a long time and my GM in Seattle had known him from when they were both working in the Bay and Mm. he, I was a sous chef at the time and I remember I was like really, I was like really pissed in this moment. We had done this like dinner and the pastry chef. Anyway, I was pissed in this moment and my GM was like, (laughs) (laughs) my GM was like, just check your email. And I was like. Okay, fine. And I checked it and there was this like beautiful email from Uh Chef Fox being like, you know, Yasu introduced, like, you know, sent this email and like, you're welcome to come stage at Rustic anytime. And I was like, oh, holy shit. I'm still mad about this thing. But like, thank you. (laughs) But silver lining. I'm still mad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, And so I flew down on uh, like my birthday when I, my 30th birthday to stage at Rustic Canyon. And. Chef Fox was at Birdie's because he had just opened mm-hmm, Birdie's mm-hmm. and um, I flew in and had dinner at, there with my friend and he was like running the pass like from the outside and I was like, oh my God, like, there he is, like, ah. and I like didn't say anything until after our meal because I was just like too nervous and yeah. I 
yeah, I don't know. And he was like, I wish you had told me sooner. I would have like sent more stuff. And I was like, no, no, like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just, I like that was a really brief meeting, and then, and then I like spent two days staging at Rustic, and then flew home. <laughs> so you eventually made your way to LA and started working on the uh, east side, deep in the heart of Silver Lake at mm-hmm. Botanica, which for anyone who lives here is like one of the new hipper, always packed eateries slash mm-hmm. marketplaces. Mm-hmm. How did you wind up there? And then now that you're coming to a different city, but also an established restaurant, How'd you put your own spin on it, but keeping the regulars coming in? Um, well, I ended up there because I ended, I had eaten lunch there on the trip that I had staged at Rustic at. Mm. And I was like, okay, like, this is sick. My friend Emily, who's a chef up in Seattle, is like friends with one of the owners. So I'd like mm-hmm, known mm-hmm. about it. And I was like, I want to check this place out. And I just thought it was like excellent and beautiful. And yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I ended up there and I moved down March 8th of 2020 and I was like, do I still have a job? <laughs> like, what Oh happened? my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think I'm, I feel really weirdly fortunate because like that place was like seven days a week, lunch and dinner. And mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. I started and it was pandemic and it was like only market and then only dinner and then like only takeout, you know, it was like this whole dance yeah, we all did. Yeah, um, yeah. But but it was only dinner and five days a week for like, I would say at least half the time I was there, which I think was like really nice because it allowed me to sort of focus on the menu and the food and like, you know, staffing up. And so it felt very much sort of like opening a new restaurant, but in terms of like keeping the regulars, like Emily, Heather and I, I don't think I've ever met people that are more aligned with me food wise, Mm. like just coming Mm. in. So I was really lucky coming in that like they already like, fuck with my food and we can have conversations <laughs> and like get like agree on things really well but I think to their like credit I think it's probably incredibly hard to open a business and not be the chef and then like but have very strong perspectives and be excellent cooks themselves like yeah yeah to try and find a chef to run it in the way that you want it to be run I feel like we all felt very lucky to have found each other <laughs> yeah yeah especially during you know such a I don't know. I don't even know what the words are anymore. (laughs) Just like the the craziest time and the restaurant industry changing as a whole. And, you know, so many, so many great spots just closed forever, not for anything other than just being such a tenuous business. Totally. Um, So you're cooking there Mm -hmm. and um, what in the back of your mind kept Rustic Canyon on the burner? How did that keep keep percolating if you will um well I wasn't even really thinking about it so I when we started to staff up again at Botanica I would call it Boti so I didn't stop myself at Boti um uh I was just struggling I was like going through a lot personally and Mm. trying to staff up and having a hard time and so I just reached out to Chef Fox and one of my other friends um in Seattle who's a chef just to ask for like leadership advice um and Chef Fox wrote me back this like beautiful, I don't know, like DM <laughs> and was like was like really kind and like took the time. Um and then was also like, I've been wanting to come in and eat your food for my birthday. Like, can you make me a reservation? And I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> so then 
he and Rachel, his wife, came in for his birthday and he loved everything and like blew me up on Instagram, which was very nice. Um, and then, yeah, and then they came in again, like, I don't know, a month or so later. And then we did an event together for like Resi mm. and Annex, which was crazy. And then, yeah, and so, so we were like in touch. And then um, he literally just called me up one day and was like, I wanted to run something by you. And I like, in my weird head, I was like, we both love Astro Diner. Like he's going to have to take over Astro Diner with him. I don't uh, know. And he, and he was by like, the way, not the worst thing in the, not the worst thing in the world. No, I was like, I don't know why I thought that, but um, yeah, but he was like, Andy's moving on and you're mm-hmm, the first person mm-hmm. I thought of. And what do you think? Wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Did you say what? You're like, what was... Because most people don't get asked to take over or be handed the keys to keep stewarding it. Um, in that moment, what did you feel? What were you thinking? Like, honestly, and like I said this to Chef Fox, I was like, I had just gotten my team at Botanica to like, a like I really was like everyone solid and like mm-hmm, really loved mm-hmm. everyone who was there. And like my sous chef who's like with me at Rustic was with me there and... <laughs> I was like, why would I leave? Like, I have, you know, these are, it's like so good. It's like always when something is like so good and it's like running smoothly and blah, blah, blah. Um, And it was really an incredibly hard, like, thing to Mm -hmm. leave that team because I I wasn't looking to leave at all. No, Um, no. But, you know, but then it's like it sinks in and you're like, oh, holy shit. Like, Jerry Fox is asking you to do this thing. Like, I'm not going to say no. No, No, you're not. So, um, as the executive chef, you're coming in and, you know, there are obviously staples at Rustic Canyon, mm-hmm. but and you need to always keep adding and improving, and, but you can't have people been coming there for over a decade and not get the result, you know what I mean? Or, 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 or something that they consider to themselves um, untouchable as in mm-hmm. it can never remove the menu. So how did you balance keeping the ship going, making your own thing versus adding your own take on it. And did you see a difference in the same way coming from Botanica with the East side Silver Lake diners and like the West side Santa Monica diners? Oh my God. No, they're so different. <laughs> I mean, I think definitely like Botanica is a different platform for sure. And sure. Like the food they were doing was already much more in line with my food in a way, like in terms of style thing obviously at the two of them is, is the same level of consideration and uh responsibility i guess um but yeah i mean like andy's style is so different than mine and uh yeah so it was a little bit of a slow thing like i remember like the first couple weeks chef fox was like are you happy with the plating of this stuff and i was like this isn't like i was like this isn't it's so weird to come in and be like i'm running expo on this food that's not mine like yeah you know you just yeah. hit the ground running and i was like i've never done that i've never like taken over a restaurant like at full speed from like coming in so i was like yeah, i don't know like not really but like it's not my food yet um, yeah it's not my plate yeah but then you just sort of start slowly and like you you sort of like attack the weak points in my like i don't want to say weak points but just like the points that are not people's like staple things. Like mm-hmm, it's taken mm-hmm. me a minute to like change the pasta. And then I just recently had a, a conversation with Josh, the owner, and he was like, you don't have to have a pasta on the menu. But like, first I needed to like change the ranking. Cause pasta was like number one 
seller every fucking day and now it's not because like sweet potatoes have like updated it oh so, man like, what a, what a rivalry the rivalry is tails all this carb. time yeah, yeah. <laughs> carb carb rivalry yeah so, yeah yeah it's sort of like you have to build a leg before you take mm-hmm. the other leg out so it's a bit of a puzzle piece um and sometimes it's like stressful because you're like i want to change this thing but like three other things have to change for that to make sense so it's really just like yeah you're sort of tetrising the menu a bit mm, mm. and you're and especially like for my style of food coming into rustic like you sort of have to like be a little gentle and like let people get comfortable with you a bit but then there's also part of me that's just like let's just fucking kick the door down <laughs> like let's go <laughs> so have you settled in do you feel a few months in now that you've gone that you're like i feel good i feel that this this was the right decision yeah i think that point probably came like honestly a month ago where like i think i was able to lift my head up and be like okay and then probably like a week or two later my sous chef was also feeling the same way and i definitely came out of it a little bit first and and now we have this moment like this week where he found this menu from October 29th, which was the, our fourth day there. And we had one, one dish on the menu and we were like, holy shit, that feels like a year ago. Like that was so wow. intense. Yeah. And like, you know, like the whole team flipped and now it's all like our team and I redesigned the menu and mm. like formatting wise and all there's like the beets and berries is still on the menu. It changed it a tiny bit. Um, but everything else except for the honeycomb and like the lavender almonds obviously mm-hmm, are mm-hmm, is mine mm-hmm. and so that feels cool and just like the amount of energy it took to like put my first thing on the menu versus like now when things are like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. in flow is like yeah it feels good and there's still like obviously so much more that i want to do and and, and how have the like, regulars reacted and, and embraced it or some people have been like where's my pasta <laughs> pasta's still there it's just different um <laughs> but good i think there's like it's a it's a much sort of you know santa monica is a definitely a different crowd the age the median age is definitely older than it is in mm-hmm. on the east side over there um but i think for the most part people have been really about it from from i'm i feel like every night i'm like tell me the feedback tell me the feedback and like sometimes mm-hmm. you get somebody that like doesn't like something but for the most part people like it and I'm hoping that the clientele continues to like shift and you know because it's kind of like you have to do you and the people who are into it will come and if they're not then they won't come but like all you can do as a creative person is like put pieces of yourself out there you can't like perform for people something Mm. that's not you so I'm Mm, just like if I fuck with it and the team is excited then the people who fuck with it will come and I'm not so worried about like trying to please everybody no no, I mean, how can you? Um, so before we go, I want to touch on one last thing you're working on because festival season is here in LA. And mm-hmm. I know you're going to be heading out to the desert, a.k.a. Coachella. Um, <laughs> which weekend are you going out for Outstanding in the Field? It's this coming Friday. Okay, so this is going to air the Sunday after you've done the event because we're talking on the Monday before. Okay. Um it's a great event. I've I've done the long table out in the field. Very weird to like come off a like out of a tent and be like, I'm gonna go have a, a tasting menu. Yeah. Um, but it was awesome. I was like, oh great, not like another slice of spicy pie. Uh, <laughs> how are you prepping? What are you cooking? Have you ever done anything like this at a music festival before? Oh my god, no, never. <laughs> Chef Fox is like, this is my nightmare, and I'm like, it's gonna be an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's going to be lit. Chef yeah. Fox. Oh, um, he's not coming. <laughs> I'm sure he's very stoked. He's not. Yeah. I have to be there. Um, yeah. I, yeah, this is definitely the most people that we've cooked for, but I have a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of lists and just prepping for like 250 people. It's a really simple, it's like four courses. So it's not, not nothing crazy. And just like, yeah, sort of like lining them up and then knocking them down. And when we get there, my goal is to just be like, everything is like 90% of the way there and we're just executing. And I have like a lot of wonderful people helping me. So I'm very like honored that they wanted to come and take the time and do this. And it should just be like fun and yeah, like nourishing and healthy. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, uh, if, there's one thing that people need during festival weekend. It's some vegetables. Like totally. put put some nutrients in that body um, uh-huh. that isn't like an added flavor to White Claw. <laughs> oh, my God. Never totally. have I ever had White Claw. <laughs> I know. You and me both. But that's oh man. Uh, well, listen, Zara, I cannot thank you enough. Um, if people want to come check out what you're doing and fuck with your food, where can they go? How can they get uh, a seat at the table? Um, I think it's like through the Outstanding in the Field website, there's a link to it. And yeah, it'll be at the VIP like Rose Garden mm. on Friday, the 14th. Nice. And if people want to come by the restaurant, how, how do they get a table? Um, yeah, book through Resi. It's, you know, Rusty Canyon, Santa Monica. Make the trek to the west side if you live on the east side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's worth the trek. Always yeah. worth the trek. Uh, well, thank you so much. Thanks, Elise, as well, for setting this up. And congratulations on everything. We have a song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Coming this spring, we're working on something big for opening soon. Opening a restaurant can sometimes take months or even years. So I have this one consulting client that's been three months away from opening for the past year. And I had a calendar reminder show up today, and the reminder was that our goal was to open tomorrow. But this spring, you'll be able to hear it in just a few hours. On March 30th, he had passed away, and then on March 31st, he had come back to life. And then on April 2nd, he had passed away again. And I was like, okay, my regards to the family. I don't even know how to receive this information. So tune in as we follow one of Brooklyn's best and brightest young chefs and restaurateurs on their journey from start to open doors. Alex, you need to put more money in. We're out. We can't pay anybody. He is the worst. Oh my God, that guy. It's the build. Subscribe to Opening Soon from Heritage Radio Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm one of your hosts, Darren Bresnitz. We are sitting in the legendary Danger Bird Records studios in gorgeous Silver Lake. And we are joined by the illustrious Coleman Zerkowski and Matt Lau from Brooklyn on the West Coast. Welcome to the tunes. How you guys doing? Fantastic. How are you, Darren? Uh, I am good. I'm good. How was the show last night? The show was incredible. Uh, I mean, I, I could say a lot more, but it was. Really- We're gonna get into it. Okay, We're gonna cool. talk about the show. We're <laughs> cool. gonna set up. That was just a pleasantry. <laughs> yeah, definitely incredible. Um, so you're East Coast born and raised, born in Baltimore. Yes. Uh, Baltimore has a legendary sort of avant-garde music scene. Um, well aware. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm getting to. Uh, <laughs> How did that influence you growing up? Do you go to a lot of the shows, like you, you know, yeah, you any know, of the uh, you know, uh, what is it, Otto's Bar? Yeah, that's there? yeah. That's that's a cool question because I've never really considered that ever. Because when I was in Baltimore, uh, I was, it was you know age zero to eighteen, and a lot of that was being in bands. Um, but I remember my high school, there was a teacher there who was very involved in the experimental music scene in Baltimore. Uh, his name was. Mr. Wojo. And there was a... I mean, if that isn't a Baltimore band yeah. name, I don't know <laughs> what is. Um, and so there, we had a... Um, when the the tsunami in... It was, it was a, hur- or a tsunami or a hurricane relief uh, concert. There was like a benefit concert. And... For Japan? No, I think it was in... Or a hurricane. What was it in 2000... You mean Sandy? 
No, 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 no. Um, I'm sorry. This is unrelated, but it was the one in like 2005, 2006 in uh, Indonesia. Okay. Regardless. Regardless. But we should be disrespectful of it. But um, we had a benefit concert and this guy played the benefit concert and he was a teacher. He was like a philosophy Harvard scholar and he did this concert where he wrapped himself in Christmas lights and was just screaming into a microphone yeah, that sounds about right. uh, with an upright basis and just like feedback and I was just totally blown away because I was 15 years old and I thought it was the most insane thing I've ever seen everybody hated it but now that I think about it I think that's had a huge influence on just thinking outside the box in terms of music well I mean you also have guys like Dan Deacon yeah yeah who, of course yeah. Uh, to me sort of speaks to your music which is taking this electronic um, vibe and bass, but then also having it a bit more like larger orca- orchestrated uh, sort of like scoring in what you've been doing as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that just gets, that seeps in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I actually didn't even know Dan Deacon until I, or know of Dan Deacon until I went to college and I had left Baltimore. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed out on all this music when I lived in Maryland. Um, but I would still say it's just, I think what is true is that that culture is very present there. There's a very outside the box, uh, culture. I mean, John Waters, that has also been a huge influence as an artist too. Yeah. I mean, Baltimore has got a lot of art, a lot of heart, Mm -hmm. definitely, uh, the most fervent fans of a city of people who live there, but also this like underdog, so, so like balance. Yeah. Um, so then what brought you to New York? Um, well, so I grew up in Baltimore, went to college in Chicago for my undergrad at DePaul University. Mm. Chicago, another great music. Yeah. More Midwest heart though. I mean, to me, that's like the braid, indie rock, Captain Jazz. Yeah. Sort of like. Definitely. Meat and potatoes. But also the Jonah, but that also is like the Joan of Arc weirdness as well. Yeah. But I would say that was more like the people around me. I mean, I played in like, I played in a black metal band. (laughs) <laughs> and I also played in uh, just punk and black metal bands, but I was studying classical music in school, and I think that was both of those have had a huge influence on my music. I mean, that's pretty amazing to have be studying that, but then also was that a unique situation where you were playing in these black metal punk bands and things like that, and a classical? Is anyone else in your class like that? No, not really. And actually, that's what I, I felt like when I was in school. Uh, like you know, I. Oh, you're dropping your R's on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd be like inviting people to my shows and they'd be like, I thought you made a different kind of music. You yeah. Know? I'd be like screaming in a microphone. But uh, again, I think it's all just music that's outside of the box. And another important influence from Chicago is the hip hop scene in Chicago. Huge. Very, and it's very, very present. And when I was there, I got really into... Juke, right? Juke and, uh, yeah, footwork. Yeah. Um, I actually, but again, I got into that after I left Chicago and I was like, I can't believe I didn't know this in Chicago. They're like, they're like, oh, you went to these shows. You're like, if you can't check, then yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but also, uh, Baltimore and Chicago, two great food cities. Exactly. I was, I was going to get to that too. So, uh, if we're going to talk about food, especially on this show, I mean, Baltimore, the food there is like, every time anybody's like, oh, you're from Baltimore, I just say Old Bay. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I love I mean, Old one Bay. of the best meals I've ever had. Uh, the crabs. Like, we I took the, <laughs> the bus down from New York. Mm-hmm. And I was DJing at Otto's Bar. Mm-hmm. And we went to a Brickie's before. Mm-hmm. Before it closed. Yeah. Did uh, the whole like mallet crabs on the table. And but now there's only one location, and it's like at the airport. It's like yeah, yeah. Weird. Well, there's there's plenty of crab places, and uh, actually, every summer, my family and a lot of people have crab 
crab sort of feasts where like we just get a bushel of crabs and uh. all crack them open. But the thing is, it's amazing to, I grew up knowing how to eat a crab and it's insane to know that people, that's like so crazy to people is to break open a crab and pull all the meat out and all yeah. the mustard. And it's a, uh, it's, it's pretty visceral. Yeah. Um, and I remember my parents, we were in Seattle up in Pike's place in the market uh-huh. and they taught me how to do that at a young age. And all my friends who love food are into it, but you put somebody, it's like a classical kid at a punk show. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly, I mean? exactly, exactly. You're like, I thought my crab comes in a can. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, let's get into a song, and then we'll talk a little bit more about your move to New York and uh, some of like the commercial work you've done, because there's sure. good stuff there. Uh, what are you going to play for us first? Should, yeah, should we talk about the song a little bit? Yeah, set it up. So uh, this is... Uh, piece from the album that I released through Danger Bird Records in February. The album is called Zero. And the each track on the album is a number counting down from nine all the way to zero. That's awesome. So the first track is nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. And uh, the album is a really deep exploration of one, sound moving into silence, but also a rhythmic pattern that's going very sl- like very slowly slowing down. Mm. And so maybe so you I, have to listen in order. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can listen out of order, but the album has a full effect if you listen to it from front to back. Love it. Um, and the one thing I want to say to listen for in this is um, there's a there's a rhythm in one of the organ parts that's constantly going and that's supposed to sort of like lock you into listening to it, as well as it's an exploration of how one thing could continue to repeat. And how, if you change one element, how that could affect how it sounds. So well, maybe think about that. Let's get into it. What's the Which track is this? This is seven. Awesome. Well, here we go. Coleman Zerkowski with Matt Lau here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
awesome. That was a really good performance, too. That was sweet. <laughs> Thank you for showing up. Yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate it. Um, so living in New York, in addition to making yeah. your own music, you've also been doing some commercial work. Yeah. Which is really interesting because as a composer, someone does scoring, um, you have a chance to create original works of music. They're not just licensing songs. Correct? Right. Right. So... You know, sometimes commercial work gets a bad name, but we also know that that is what allows you to sometimes do the artistic uh, stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so what sort of freedom, like what sort of things do you love about the commercial work that you maybe you don't find in making your own music? Is there a certain freedom there? Yeah, I, I actually, I, I could talk about this for a while because I think... Great, because we have some time to fill. <laughs> but in in the art world, I think commercial music gets, it, it has this constant bad rap, which is just like, oh, it's so shallow, it's so... It's like, why even waste your time with that? It's not expressing anything. And to be honest, I, my favorite part about commercial music is that it doesn't express anything from me at all. In mm. fact, commercial work is like a craft. It's, it's, you, need, you need this track that matches this visual, uh, make that track. And then you get notes and do revisions. And personally, I love it because it's, it's, it's distancing myself. I think in, in art, sometimes your ego can get too involved with, mm -hmm. with your work and the best part about uh, commercial music for me is that I can completely remove myself. And there have been many, many times when I've had commercials and the thing about commercial work, particularly like advertisement, it has to be done like within a, f I've done gigs where like they called me at 11 PM and they need a track by 8 AM tomorrow. And I have to write Put five, the like, on, right? yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have to write three to five tracks by 8 AM, which is typical. That's actually very standard. And um, sometimes if I'm forced into a situation where I have to write music, it gets the wheels turning in a way that like, if I was just sitting at the piano waiting for inspiration, wouldn't happen in the same way. Like there's no way if you were working on your own project, you would be like, I'm going to start at 11, right? stay up till eight, right. crank out five songs. Exactly. No, no way. And it's like, because that, that pressure, but again, I, I feel like the brain works where it's like, you're still using the same tools, but you're just not expressing yourself creatively, which is another element of the brain, I would imagine. And so, like I said, it just gets the wheels turning, and I I love it. I think it's a blast. Now you got to work on a Three Musketeers commercial. Oh yeah, that's one of my that's one of my uh, top top singles. Uh, yeah, number one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the Toyota one's the number that one. Three Musketeers thing. That it's put a, a good couple, track though. Put a couple of rooms in this house. Yeah. <laughs> no, that one. I. It's not that it really paid well, but it was just I was so proud of it. Like that was a. Uh, I wish everybody could see when I was writing that in my bedroom. It's like, <laughs> were you eating the three? Did you like go out to like the bodega and get? I wish for inspiration. No, not quite. Um, so it's a good track, though. It is a good track. <laughs> it's a good. The next, the, the next. First it's called Winter Morning, by the way. The track. First single off. Do you get to name them? Yeah, yeah. You have to. They always have to be sort of like cheesy names that imply the emotion of the. So anytime I write it, I just think of the first thing, and I was like, "Winter morning," right? In case someone was, in case so like when it gets nominated, they see the name and they're like, "Oh my god!" Like, what a perfect, so track. beautiful. Um, so what would you say to someone? Because it seems like you're very comfortable in commercial work. Yeah, like maybe framing it as like a way to support the artistic work. Like, Absolutely. Like, like how? What advice would you give to someone who is like, "Hey, I, first off." lucky enough to get that phone call at 11 p.m. Right, right, you know exactly. I mean? Like, it's hard enough to get that type of work. So, like, what would you say to someone? Uh, I think I think my entry into that is actually pretty valuable, like, as a story. Um, I 
so I went to school at CalArts for my master's degree. Mm -hmm. And the reason I came out here was I was interested in two things. I was interested in experimental and classical music, mm -hmm. as well as breaking into the film and commercial world. And in my second year, I started doing internships for a lot of music houses and things weren't really going well for me. I was I did three internships that were just completely dead ends, mm. uh, and one of them, I won't I won't say which, but I, one of them I was sexually harassed at. And really, yeah, that's a juicy story. I don't know if it's appropriate for the podcast. We we'll, we'll we can get, get it into it later. We'll <laughs> but anyway, uh, just a very very terrible experience to the point where I never actually felt like I wanted to do music for any sort of profit again. And I just, I, I didn't feel like music was a career after that. And so I got into restaurants and I was like a bus boy and, uh, I got fired from a restaurant for eating a Brussels sprout. And then I got fired from a coffee shop job because I wouldn't wash my shirt and had coffee stains all over it. I wore it every day. Wow. And, and they let me go and they said, honestly, the reason we let you go is because you didn't wash your shirt. But I can't blame them. You know, that's, that's probably me being hey, man, irresponsible. That is your line in the sand. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's an odd line, uh, but it's your line. So yeah. who am I to judge? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about all these places that let me go. Maybe it's, maybe it's a me issue and yeah. not an everybody else issue. But anyway... Um, after that, everything sort of coalesced. There was this commercial uh, editing company that I had always wanted to work for, and I had a friend that worked for them. I had one interview with them, and then I had read on Forbes.com. I don't know if you know Forbes. Oh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Forbes.com said, if you want to get a job, you need to be persistent. So I kind of took that to the next level, and I emailed them once a month for nine months. And I said, like, hey, uh, is there still a job open? Hey, how are you? There was one I was like, hey, I hope you guys are like, I talked about the Super Bowl. But then they started, I, they weren't responding. So I felt I had this like liberty to start yeah, you're making like, them a little wild. more interesting. So, uh, uh, what, was, what was the nine? Just skip forward to month 90. Now. Yeah, yeah. The last one I sent was, hey, I just wanted, because I, I always thought it'd be like cool to be funny on email, but I just like didn't really take into account how it would turn out. But I said, uh, you know, if you guys need any hand, like if you want me to like wipe down the keyboards, give you a foot or back massage, um, like take out the trash, feed you, uh, put the food in your mouth, and then just like all this weird personal yeah. stuff. And then the person <laughs> person emails me back, "Are you available?" <laughs> and then so wow. I ended up I ended up uh, going in for an interview, and they're like, "Honestly, you just seem like such a like weird like cool person that we wanted you to work with us, and like we just thought you were really funny." Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that because that probably lost me well, some jobs too. <laughs> the, the persistence, yeah, exactly. It's the, the takeaway. Um, so hold on, if you don't mind me finishing no, no, the, story. the story. So uh, I go in for an interview. I start out as the coffee guy, and it was actually kind of rough at first because I, you know, I have a master's degree in music, and here I am serving coffee to advertising clients, and I felt very undervalued and just lame. I'm in there like, oh, I got your your cappuccinos, but it's very typical for Los Angeles to yeah. be doing this, you know. So. I'm doing this every day, and then there was this one commercial, where, and I and I kept being like, you know, I, I do music, I would love to do music. And they're like, well, we don't need music. We're an editing company. We don't we don't need music. Mm -hmm. They're a video editing company. So I walked into this room, and I said, uh, I drop off the coffees, and I'm about to walk out, and I hear this guy. Uh, he's one of the advertising clients. He said, I just wish there was somebody that could write this track 
but like do it for cheap. And oh my god, is that it was, this it, is your Hollywood moment? Exactly, exactly. I was like, this is it, you know. So I turn around and I was like, you know, I could write the track. I write music. They're like, no, I'm sorry, we need a professional. And I walk out of there, and this one, no, yeah. Well, I walk out and I was. I remember, I remember exactly. I was washing the dishes and I was like, it's really not going to turn out well for me. I'm thinking to myself, like, here I am. I just put myself out there. And it's just never going to happen. And a guy comes out of the room and he's like, you have your master's in music, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I mean, why not give you a shot? It's like you, you could do this and if we could do it for cheap i mean we'll do it for cheap but uh if you want to write something like we have nothing to lose so i was like okay and it ended up being they wanted a bernard herman track you know bernard herman Mm-mm. he did all the music for alfred hitchcock's there we go films and i love his music and it, i just ev- everything had been leading up to me preparing for this moment so i took it home and it was i got home at 8 p.m that night and i delivered uh i delivered the track it was a 30 second track for an nbc commercial uh the next morning Totally just knocked it out of the park. Like every, I put my whole life into that thing. Is that the CISA stuff? Yeah. And so I brought it into work the next day and they were just completely floored. I wasn't in the room, but I was told from multiple people that people's mouths just dropped. And it's because it's like, that's what I do, you know? And it's like, I I believe if you get yourself in an element where you do what you enjoy doing and have fun, then people respond to that. I'm just going to say this because it needs to be on the record. Hands down, one of the most inspirational stories I've heard on this radio show. Oh, cool. <laughs> the emails, the persistence, the yeah. putting yourself out there. Yeah. Let's hear another song. Oh. Ooh, that was a good story. Cool. <laughs> On the record. That's the story you send to your mom. Yeah. No, I mean, I will say about my parents, uh, they gave me such a hard time about studying music, and they're like, why don't you get a real job? Or, you know, they considered me getting Have another, a real job. Getting another degree. And then as soon as I got that commercial, they're like, we told you you would make it. And it's oh, like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah well, we got some, well, we got some words for off. off. Off the air. So what do we got now? So, uh, oh, not to say, I, I love my parents, by the oh way. Oh my God, of course. I love my parents, too. Um, this is another track from Zero. Uh, it's a percussion piece. And same idea is to think about rhythm changing. Okay, and what's the title? Which track? Oh, I'm sorry, it's five. Perfect. All right, here we go. Live on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Coleman Zerkowski with Matt Lau, Dangerbird Record Studios.
Yeah. Damn. Ferocious. So you're out here to celebrate the film score turned album for the Project Zero, which was put out on Arthur King Presents. Shout out to Arthur King. Yes. Um, and this is part of your opus of film scoring. And you've done a bunch of composing and things like that. You did for Netflix and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is, uh, I will say this is a little different. This, this, sort of, this album was a flip of the script. It's a, it was an album first and then became a film. Very nice. Yeah. Way to inspire. Yeah. Real flip of the script. Yeah. Um, what approach do you take when scoring a film? Is it a little bit more of a mix of the commercial work versus artistic stuff? Because you got to pull in. It's like more of a collaboration or is it like, hey, we have a scene? Uh, well, actually, that's why I made Zero is that as much as filmmakers... Film is much more of a creative realm than commercial work. Like commercial is very much like a craft. Yeah. No yeah. films exactly 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Although uh, one could say that commercials are many films. <laughs> there are people that believe that. Yeah, I, 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 you know. But uh, films are, there's a lot more creative freedom. And, but people never seem, at least with music, a lot of filmmakers I found in my experience never take the liberty to have it be as co- co- collaborative because a lot of filmmakers have a vision. They want to see that vision. And so a lot of films that I've done will be like, hey, I want this song from this movie and I want that song and I want that song, but I can't buy them. Can you make something that sounds like them? Mm. Or it'll be a scene that's like, you know, I want this emotion, I want this feeling. But a lot of it is like reference tracks. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to make something where film and music were on the same plane, where it was much more of a a collaborative thing, but also... Like the billing is the same. It's not because it's, film. It's always the director is the main person. Sure, you know? a Wes Anderson film, a Gus Van Zandt film. But I wanted We're this the to be director of Godzilla. What's that? Terrible <laughs> joke. But I wanted this to be something where composer and filmmaker are on complete equal plane, and you're experiencing film and music all at once instead of just because any most of the time in film too, it's like there's a visual and music is enhancing the visual. Sure. And I wanted this to be an experience you get all at once. But I mean, I feel like some of the best films, the music just elevates it yeah. to a whole other level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all, I would say, the best scenes and movies, mm. it goes without saying or needs to be said, I would then. Yeah. They have the best soundtracks. Well, and I'm, I'm sure a lot would agree with this, but a huge inspiration for me musically has been 2001 Space Odyssey as a film. Oh, yeah. I mean, the last sequence of that film... I saw that, and that was a big inspiration for Zero, is that you you get to a point where you're just listening to music and looking at visuals. It's it's actually, like, totally what I wish Zero could do. And there's, like, no dialogue. There's no nothing for, what, however long that end sequence is. It's, yeah. like, 15 minutes long. It's awesome. Yeah, which was revolutionary. Yeah. Um, and so with the release of this, uh, are you taking it out? Like, are you going to play it, like, sequentially, like, 9 through 0 out as a show? Or, like, how do you perform something that's written for the album we're supposed to listen to it in a very specific way and then translating it live. Well, so also making a film was a logistical thing too because there's a lot of musicians involved in the in the album. There's probably like 20 musicians involved. And so I wanted to tour this thing, but I didn't know how to get 20 people or I didn't have the money to afford 20 people to move around with me. So I made it into a film because that could be easily spread as far as possible. Of course. So this year, uh, last night was actually the last show of this self-funded tour that I did which I went to, basically I reached out to all my friends in as many cities as I knew 
and uh, some in Europe, some here. And just whenever I could afford a plane ticket, I would go, we would organize a show and I would screen the film and usually do some sort of performance or just introducing the film. I feel like in art, people respond if they just know your personality. And a lot of it was just going out there and being like, hi, I'm Coleman Zerkowski. If you want to talk afterwards, we can. And then presenting the film. And it's had a uh, really great impact or not not impact but a really great result and i think Say impact okay i i don't mean, undersell yourself i mean i just think a lot of a lot of good has come out of it i.e this danger bird thing yeah and danger bird pushed me to do the live thing which i was really originally against but then it's been really but really I mean, those, great those yeah. guys are the kings of, yeah. of video and music yeah and it's awesome it's awesome well i want to make sure we have enough time for one more song but if people- yeah, i'm sorry for talking don't apologize. <laughs> no, don't. I love apologizing. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, we definitely are uh, have Hungarian uh-huh. background. Apologize all the time. Are you a hypochondriac too? Not a hypochondriac, but a, a, a lot of things are my fault. Okay. Uh, <laughs> until they're not, then I'm like, it's your fault. <laughs> uh, so, where can people enjoy the film? Where can people listen to the music? Where can people get the album? So the album is going. It, the album is definitely available on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon, mm. and YouTube as well. Um, and I just did a self-funded vinyl release of the album, but there's only 100 copies. And that's going to be available on my Bandcamp, colemanzerkowski.bandcamp.com, relatively soon. Awesome. Uh, so keep a lookout for that. But also, I'm trying to keep the film offline as long as possible until hopefully somebody else uploads it. I don't want to put it online. Uh, but if you purchase the vinyl, it comes with a DVD of the film. Beautiful. Yeah. And stay tuned for more uh, Arthur King Presents because they have... Some cool things in the pipeline. Definitely. Uh, what's the website? What's the Instagram? Where can people go to see you online? So, ColemanZerkowski.com is the website. You so, want to spell that? C-O-L-E-M-A-N-Z-U-R-K-O-W-S-K-I period C-O-M. Thank you. Thank you for that last part. Too. Definitely. Definitely. And then my Instagram is at DJ Versace, but Versace is spelled V-E-R-S-A-C-I. Oh. Yeah. How'd you get that? Uh, when I actually lived in Los Angeles, I performed a lot of shows as DJ Versace. I thought it'd be funny if I moved to Los Angeles and became like a, a DJ named DJ Versace, and then I actually did it. And uh, But I'm kind of dropping that now, but it's still my Instagram name. Love it. Okay, great. Well, what's the last song we're going to hear? The last song is actually, I wanted to share a piece that's not from Zero. All good. Um, I was originally going to share... I was originally going to share something from the upcoming album. I'm working on an uh, upcoming album that... Hopefully will be available, not available, but be performing and sort of out in the world around January. Um, and I thought that could be like a good lead in. But you know what? I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to play something older. Ooh. Uh, this is a piece that I wrote in 2013 called Die von Blumen Reich ich dir, which is the last line of a poem in German. And it's uh, the last line is those of flowers are for you. Um and I think what I want to say about this is I had written this a long time ago and then sort of didn't do anything with it, but I, I wrote it because I was really inspired by this pianist in the Netherlands named Dante Boone. Mm-hmm. And I wrote this piece, and I said, hey, look, I wrote this piece inspired by your concert. And he's, he's, um, he, he tours a lot, and he's a really good pianist. And he, he appreciated me being inspired by him so much that he performed it in Dusseldorf in 2016. And uh, after that performance, he also performed another composer's piece who I became friends with in New York and is now Matt and I's boss. So this, this piece that I'm about to play is literally responsible for me surviving in New York right now. That's amazing. Well, 
Coleman. It's been great to hear. Darren, stories. it's been awesome. Thank you for having us on Thank here. Thank you so much, Matt. You too, Dangerbird. Thank you as always. Thank you for listening to Snacky Tunes. We'll be back next week. Here we go. One last performance here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes. Snacky Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.